ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. This is going to come as a surprise because there were some amazing talks there. Horowitz was there, Liegner was there, Neil Spector was there. There's all kinds of great clinical pearls being spoken about and exciting research being done. But the most interesting, the most astounding, the most shocking section was actually a a panel discussion about policy and particularly the representative from the CDC. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number... 250. 250. I never thought we'd make it. (laughs) I remember in the beginning you said, just make it to, what was the number? It was 100. 100. You're not allowed to quit until you've reached 100 we kinda, episodes. We kind of blew by <laughs> just, 100. Just a little bit. <laughs> we have some plans for the near future and the long-term future, so stay tuned. We'll be rolling those out to you, and you'll get to hear them, because that's what you do, is listen to podcasts that's like ours. That's what we're here for. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Awesome. All right. And please welcome Aurora. You've already heard her. My daughter and longtime sidekick here on Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, everybody. Uh, today you're going to learn what McKay found out at the fourth annual Lime Mind Conference in downtown Manhattan. I learned that Siri and walking directions are more of suggestions than actual directions. Whoopsies. The dot would bounce around, and I did walk around a few blocks in Manhattan, but I needed the exercise. <laughs> I'd been sitting in the car and on the train for a very long time, so it wasn't bad, just annoying. Mm. Once again, the moral of the story is don't trust Siri. Okay. Thanks, Aurora. And a big shout-out to you longtime Lime Ninjas. You know who you are, and you're the reason we are at more, actually way more at this point, than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in, and we'd like to welcome all you new Lime Ninjas out there. We're glad you tuned in. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. 
And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem, and each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week, we've had listeners tune in from Paris, France to Portland, Oregon. All right, Aurora, why don't you set us up here and tell us a little bit about the background of the Lyme Mind Conference. So the Lyme Mind Conference is put on by the Institute for Next Generation Healthcare that's down at Mount Sinai. And it's the it has a goal of building like a multi-specialty network for treating Lyme disease. This is the fourth annual conference and it showcases the latest in Lyme disease research, prevention, diagnostics, and treatment. It's funded by the Cohen Lyme and Tick-Borne Diseases Initiative. And this year they had speakers like Neil Spector, Anne-Marie Hirsch, Saruchi Chandra, and Richard Horowitz. Thanks, Aurora. And, I mean, this this is a great conference. If you ever get a chance to go, it's free, right? The Cohen Foundation is so generous to set this up. And all you need to do is get there. And I got there <laughs> we left, I left at 2 a.m. or something like that. No, not too late. No, That's I got the right there. Enough time to get a coffee, get a cup of coffee and sit down. Uh, no, it's, it's what I want to say about this. What I want to say is it's one of the unique conferences because it pulls in so many different areas. It's not simply a scientific conference where all the bench scientists go to, the researchers go to. It's not just a practitioner conference like ILADS. It's not a patient-focused conference where it's mostly focused on on patient experiences. It's really a combination of all the above. And really, it's the only place I've been to that really combines the hardcore science, hardcore clinical experience, and the patient experience all together. It's just really wonderful. So if you at all can get yourself there next year to Lime Mine number five, I'm assuming they're going to have one, put it on your calendar. It usually happens this time, sometime in October. So have a look out. You can go to their website and be sign up for their mailing list so you can get notified at the next conference. So I'll start off with what's hopefully an easy question. What was the talk that most stood out to you, that's most memorable to you right now? was actually a, a panel discussion about policy and particularly the representative from the CDC. Oh, really? Yes, exactly. Don't throw sticks and stones across the, <laughs> the internets, the interwebs. Uh, Sue Visner was there representing the CDC, and that took a bit of courage because of the patients in the room, right? The the CDC working with doctors and working with uh, researchers, they, they have a pretty smooth relationship there, so that's not such a big deal. But to be in a room where patients and patient advocates are there and to be willing to stand there and explain what's going on at the CDC, I thought was really important. Uh, The takeaway is they're not as evil as they're being made out to be. And they're actually responsive. They've made changes on their website. They have been the fall guy, I think, for the IDS. I think the real enemy is the IDSA. 
I really do. And they and the insurance companies have misused the information on the CDC website. So once they were approached through the Tickborne Working Group about that, they made changes. So I think one of the lessons there is when you're making policy decisions, you know, marching on Washington sometimes can get people's attentions, and maybe they got the Tickborne Group working, getting going, but it's not necessarily maybe the best way to make changes. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, and and she made herself available. She said, you know, if you're being denied uh, treatment or if you're being denied access to care based on something that's on our website that's being misinterpreted, he said, contact us because we'll clean it up. We'll send a letter where we need to send a letter. And I was really shocked at that. And so it took courage for her to say there, for Sue to sit there and say that and to come forward. And that's really the most shocking thing. Now, there's lots of other kind of cool technical stuff there about what they're doing to treat Lyme disease. Very excited about that too. But I was shocked about this because like many of you, my opinion of the CDC is right there down in the middle of a pile of dog poo, right? Something you just want to avoid and not step into and they're useless for what we're doing. However, however, they're not, right? If we can now bring them on board and bring them along and get them to see the light a little bit. And they're starting, they're starting to. Baby steps are happening. So keep encouraging that. Send them nice letters, send them something, right? Encouraging. Talk to Sue Visner. She's awesome. That's what I recommend. If you're struggling with something coming out of the CDC, don't send a hate mail to her, but send a send a reasonable letter. She's she's a normal person. And I was a bit shocked. I was expect, <laughs> expecting horns and the devil, to be honest. But we didn't get that at all. Not defensive at all. And really more on our side, really, truly, which was surprising, than than defending her bureaucracy. Uh, again, just just a remarkable panel discussion that happened out of there. The other thing that's super interesting to know about the statistics is last year, Connecticut, or is it this year? This year. 2019. 2019. So I've... Forgive me, I forget if it's the 2019 statistics of 2018. Connecticut decided they no longer were going to report Lyme disease cases. So right in the middle, right, right in the middle of tick territory, one of the highest concentrations of Lyme disease in the country, there's a big fat black hole of statistics. So when you see those numbers coming out of the CDC for the next reporting a segment of time, it's not going to include Connecticut. It's mind blowing. It's like, how can that happen? And I don't know if they're going to make a, you know, a guess and just continue the numbers for the year before, but the previous 2017, they reported 8,000 cases. So if you do that, the multiplication, that's 80,000 cases not being reported. And that's just, it's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. The other bottom line that is Lyme disease reported cases, even with things like this, is increasing every year. So if the reported cases increase even without the contribution of Connecticut, then you know what I think? I, I don't think the disease is spreading that fast. I just think we're getting better at finding and diagnosing people, which is really what we want to do. Save people from having to suffer from years of years of lack of diagnosis. I'm not saying we're there yet. I'm not saying we can't do better. However, we're moving in the right direction. 
and talking to Dr. Ahern from SUNY Adirondack, she's one of the most incredible Lyme literate Researcher. activists, researchers. I mean, she's everything all in one. She's an activist. You know, her daughter had Lyme disease and what, that's what got her interested. She's also a PhD and she teaches and she's got her finger on the pulse of everything Lyme. It's just, just an amazing woman. Just tip my hat off to her every time I see her and just absolutely lovely. Just love her to death. She is trying to focus her energies and we had a brief chat and she's thinking, well, you know, I need to focus my energies and probably what I'm going to focus on is doctor education. And I was like, thank goodness somebody's on the case. So expect to see things changing in the next couple of years as she gets organized around bringing what we all know now to the, to the treatment room, to the clinic, right? We can have the best test in the world. And that was actually one of the disappointments of this conference, there was a company from Italy who was detailing their test, but you know, it's there's the breakthrough tests that we thought were coming. I was so confident about a couple of years ago, just haven't happened. They just have fallen apart. So the testing right now, testing we're behind in testing still. Oh, and I haven't heard any good news at any of these conferences yet. I mean, basically we're still. I mean, no disrespect to Igenics, they do an awesome job. And their tests are stated at this point, but the the mechanism for doing this to have an in office test that's done just like a strep test that they do, you know, go to the office, they give a quick swab. Those tests were around the corner a couple of years ago, but they just got torpedoed. Those projects got shut down. That's what we need. You know, we we don't. It's okay to have these tests where you send it off, but we need this immediate information testing all kinds of things all at the same time in a handheld device. That's what's needed. And the, that dream seems to have, have gone by the wayside. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and let me see, before this, you were talking about how uh, Savi was speaking about how there was hope. Let's, let's make this a little bit more opt- optimistic right now. You're talking about how Savi felt that there was there was hope this year round in a way that there hasn't been a couple even a couple years ago. So what do you think was hopeful that was really hopeful about this this Lyme disease conference? There are two very brief presentations by Dr. Horowitz and Dr. Kenneth Leigner. And they're both involving disulfiram, although Horowitz is also using Dapsone in in his treatment protocols. And let's pause for a second. So disulfiram was identified at the first Lyme Mind conference four years ago, almost in an offhanded way. They've got ways now where they've got these huge computer databases and you want to target a protein or a particular pathway in, in the human body or in a bacteria. And they run this information through a database and it spits out likely suspects. So it'll give you a list of, okay, instead of having to look through 2 million different drugs, look at these three dozen. And so it speeds up the testing process like crazy. So in one of these computational scans, disulfiram got picked out. And now it's being used in the clinic. 
and the results are very, very interesting. It seems like, on the research side, that Borrelia has a particular appetite for disulfiram. In other words, if it's in the body, the Borrelia picks it up, and then it kills it, which is extra interesting. It's like having a box of cookies around, and the Borrelia's going around and pick up the disulfiram cookies. The other nice thing about disulfiram, it doesn't target the friendly microbes in your gut. So it's not going to blow apart. Yeah, it's not going to blow apart your gut. It's not an antibiotic. See, that's the thing. It's not an antibiotic. It's this other substance. It actually shuts down the alcohol, dehyde, I forget exactly the enzyme. It shuts down the body's ability to break down and detox alcohol. Ah. So that's what it's used for. That's what it's, what was it? proof for Hmm. so for alcoholics if they take this drug if they even smell alcohol they get the worst hangover they have in their life and they say you know what that's not worth it let's not do that right so it creates a revulsion around alcohol because you just feel like heck now one of the issues currently with disulfiram is some of the side effects from that so it can cause a psychotic break I guess that's the bad news. Right? <laughs> so Dr. Ligner was talking about the first patient he used disulfiram with. He did his research. The patient actually suggested, can I try this? And after doing the research, the doctor said, well, okay, but let's keep an eye on you. So they kept an eye. They used low doses. They figured it out. And then the patient disappears and comes back, actually cancels a follow-up appointment. And uh, says, you know, Doc, I'm feel I haven't felt this great in years and years and years. I think I'm cured. And he said, Well, that's interesting. Can you at least come in and we can talk about it? You know, has, has you had any adverse reacts, any adverse reactions to it? And the patient says, Well, there was the time I went to the ER. Oh no, the ER. What happened? Well, it was a psychotic break. <laughs> And the patient says, but it was worth it. I'd do oh it all over gosh. again. It was only a couple of days. So there are some side effects. And it seems to be related to unexpected or unknown exposure to alcohol, for example. Ah. Right? Yeah. All the hand sanitizer gels have alcohol in them. So if you put that on your hands, you're likely to cause problems. If there's something in an herb you're taking, if there's something in some food that you didn't know about, a little bit of alcohol, some cleaning things that you're using. Like I use alcohol in my practice to clean the skin. That might set somebody off who's taking disulfiram. So you have to be very, very careful with that. But it seems to be getting in there, cleaning up the Borrelia, cleaning up. The biofilm? The, the biofilms, exactly. And that's that part's really exciting. And and Horowitz has got some research that he's publishing. He was laughing that he's doing the research backwards. He's starting with the patients and working back to why it's working. But he's using combination drug therapy. And that's the other kind of exciting thing, that the idea, this, the combination drug therapy is the way it has to be done, right? One drug, there's no one silver bullet. Right. You need like 10 silver bullets or three silver bullets. 
to take care of Lyme disease, cause so much things happening. So that's, you know, if you haven't, if you're stuck in your treatment, disulfiram is definitely something to take a look into. I was a bit skeptical going in, but hearing from the clinicians themselves, and you could hear, that's the nice thing about going to the conference, you can palpably hear their excitement about it, that they're really excited about the what the disulfiram adds to the treatment regimen. It's something to consider, especially if you have long-term uh, illness going on and you've been balanced for a long time. Chances are it's it's the biofilms. We, we heard a case story, a case history, of a, again, one of uh, Dr. Liegner's patients, and she eventually died uh, from the Lyme disease, and she donated her body to science. So they were able to dissect and take a look at what was going on inside the organs, and essentially she was covered with biofilm, mm. just absolutely covered with biofilm. And I think that's that's what's going on. It's the biofilm. It's all about the biofilm. So any strategy you can think of to bust up biofilm, that's going to help. And that's probably why we get these relapses as well, because the biofilm's kind of held at bay, right? The bugs are hiding behind the biofilm. And when the immune system gets weakened for whatever reason, usually some sort of stress, right? Physical, emotional, mental stress. Then out from behind the biofilm comes the Borrelia and friends, and they absolutely clobber you. They absolutely clobber you. So things like liposomal herbs, uh, the biocidin, which has a liposomal form, things like that. Stevia. Stevia, which breaks up the biofilm. Hopefully it won't put you in a psychotic break. Yes, we're not a fan <laughs> of psychotic breaks. No. However, that was just one case. Most of the people are handling the disulfiram without any problems. And as... The treatment, more and more people get treated with it, they will get more sophisticated about the dosing of it. Mm. Uh, and you don't, apparently, because it has such a high affinity for Lyme, you don't need big doses of it. You don't need mega dose. That's the other thing. You know, you don't need to do a pick line of disulfiram because it targets the Borrelia precisely. It's really remarkable. And they're thinking about even using it as way to, if they could radio tag it, something like that, using it as a detection device. Because oh, again, the Borrelia wow. sucks it up so much. So if you could tag it some way, then you could do a scan and see if there's actually anything left in the body. And so that's that's another exciting thing. So they found this substance that Lyme loves, that Borrelia loves, finally, right? That really, it just uh, preferentially takes it up. So again, there's all kinds of possibilities opening up with with this discovery. So it's that that in and of itself is pretty exciting. And even if the disulfiram doesn't end up to be the silver bullet, uh, it will open up the doors for understanding something that's going on with Lyme. Now, the other fascinating thing, can I keep going? Please keep going. Is that all right? Is it's actually an old study uh, published in Nature. Nature magazine? Yep. Mm -hmm. About when they sequenced Borrelia's DNA. Now, we always hear, oh, you know, Borrelia has all this extra DNA and blah, blah, blah. And it's funny because the article says the exact opposite. It says the genome on the Borrelia is actually fairly small. So I was shocked when I first started reading that. And hang on, let me 
let me pull up. So I can't do both things here at once. Here. <laughs> we'll pause the podcast. We'll pause the podcast. So we're going to pause while I'm going to pull up the study. Hang on. Really? Okay. We found the article and it was indeed Nature Magazine. In case you want to look it up, it's open access. And the title. 19, hang on. 1997. December 1997. Volume 390. <laughs> Starting on page 580, the title of the article is Genomic Sequence of Lyme Disease Spirochete Borrelia burgdorferi. Now, what does it say? This is what I got out of reading this, which was fascinating. So it goes over all the genes in the bacteria, right? What's interesting is Borrelia cannot synthesize any proteins hmm. or any lipids. It does not have the genes to synthesize proteins or lipids. That means it has to eat, right? It has yes. to eat those, which makes sense why any type of fasting or ketogenic diet, something like that, where you're restricting protein is going to slow down Borrelia. It's not going to be able to reproduce as quickly. And that's probably one reason why it reproduces slowly, because it has to eat. Imagine having to <laughs> eat yourself the building blocks to make a copy of yourself. And that's why it likes cartilage so much, right? Because cartilage is yeah. protein, right? It makes yeah. sense all of a sudden. So that was one of the fascinating things. And that this article has been forgotten, I think, even though it's it's kind of front and center in what's going on with Borrelia, it's an old article, and it's the first I'd heard mention of this. So if you really want to geek out on kind of the genetics of the Borrelia itself and some of the pathways that it utilizes to stay alive, go check out this Nature magazine. The other kind of interesting thing was a lot of the genome was related to mobility. Oh, so it wants it's, to move. It and wants it, to move. And it, it wants to eat. It spends a lot of genetic energy making sure it can move. Mm. And that is probably right. So it can get to a food source. I yeah. would imagine that's exactly right. All right. So that was the disulfiram. So really, once again, think about it. It it might be something to really break through. And I think in, in using it with some of these other, like, like Horowitz is doing, some of these other antibiotics that we're normally using, it reduced the load and the time that we need to take these things so there's not as much collateral damage being done. You know, that's what I see in my practice is people who have just been devastated by long-term courses of antibiotics. You know, it just, anyway, it, it clobbers your gut. So one of the topics that was on the schedule in, intrigued me. It reminded me of that story that you tend to tell about the about the AIDS researcher asking, what are you guys doing over here on Lyme disease? And it was called uh, Global Connections and Learning from Other Diseases. It that was a very interesting panel. It was one of the last ones in the afternoon. And basically, they brought in three researchers one from the AIDS community, one from the hepatitis community, I think it was, and maybe tuberculosis. Anyway, I'm, I'm probably messing that up. But anyway, three, definitely one of them was AIDS. 
And these researchers were basically sharing their stories on how they broke through kind of the the lack of attention, the lack of money, the lack of resources into really tackling these diseases head on. And their comments, their encouragement, their wisdom, we've, we can learn from these other groups. And to have those connections, again, this is one reason why I really love the Lime Mind Conference. Having those connections and learning from other, this isn't the first disease to struggle with getting recognition and getting funding. In fact, many, it's almost, it's sad to say, but there'll probably be something after Lyme that's just as bad, right? You know, it, it's hard to imagine, but it, it just seems to go through cycles. And this is, you know, this is the cycle we're in. We've got a new disease coming on. It's affecting lots and lots of people and it's invisible. The funding numbers are just dismal just absolutely dismal, even by their own numbers, right? The CDC's numbers, the NIH's numbers. It's just it's just atrocious how little money is being spent. But we've got the political wheels starting to churn. They churn slowly and the funding should increase. So don't don't despair. Write letters. Or better yet, pick up the phone and talk to your Congress people. Just let them know that you've got Lyme disease. You think this is really important and would appreciate them paying some attention to it and working on funding. And that goes a long way, believe it or not. A phone call is much more effective than an email or even a snail mail, a regular letter. So go ahead and pick up the phone if you've got the time and the energy and just, just have a conversation. Tell them why it's important to you. You know, there is sometimes there's specific legislation to support in your area, in your state or nationally. And that's it's helpful to mention that as well. But just that you're concerned about that topic. They do keep score. They do keep track of those things. I think that's it. I think that's it. Now, one last thing I want to mention, we made a deal with the Lime Mind folks. We're going to get the raw audio of all these talks. My goal is to clean them up, kind of break them down, make them understandable uh, in chunks of the not too long and broadcast them. I'm sure you're going to learn a ton from that. I know I did. I want to listen to some of these things again because I didn't take notes and I should have. And it'll be a great opportunity to get this information out there. And I think you'll see why I'm so excited about all these topics that were brought forth during this conference. So, Pay attention. We're supposed to get these soon. I don't know if we'll roll these out next week. If we're lucky, we'll have them that soon. If not, hang on. It'll just be a week or two before we get things organized and edited, and we'll start to do them. We're not going to go all eight hours of line mind on you. We'll do it half an hour at a time, 45 minutes at a time. And that's the plan. So I think that's really exciting news. And we couldn't have done this unless you were listening out there and people took us seriously and got the weight behind Lime Ninja Radio. So thank you all for listening to make something like this available. Uh, I think it's going to get out the information to a lot more people. And you made that happen. And with that being said, do you have feedback? Suggestions for guests, really anything, send an email to feedback at limeninjaradio.com. Yes, we are getting some awesome guest suggestions. Keep them coming. We've also been discovered by some Russian spammers. It's very interesting. <laughs> Somebody told me that they were going to hold me hostage. 
and the information hostage on Lyman Ninja Radio, but they can't with our form. But it's kind of funny. But in between, I don't know why I'm telling you all this stuff. It's kind of what happens really, what really happens when you're putting out a (laughs) podcast. You get weird emails from Russians. And not the Russians who are listening. Russians who want your money. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, (laughs) it wasn't a Nigerian prince. (laughs) A relative of the Nigerian But in between all the spam... We, there are some awesome suggestions for guests, and we're working on those to get those lined up to bring to you. Please keep them coming. I love the ideas. Some of you had practitioners that you think are very, very highly of. Please send those names and the connections so or the introduction so we can begin to make the connection there. Uh, it, it helps scheduling when they know that the introduction is coming from a patient of theirs and I'm just not some random Lime Ninja guy. Believe it or not, not everybody knows about <laughs> Lime Ninja Radio yet. We're still working on that. All right. Where were we? Oh yeah, send send guest suggestions. And if you really like what we're doing, leave a us a review on your podcast app. Cause it helps us reach more people. Like yes. you. Please take one minute right now and leave a review. I think it's been a couple of weeks since we've had one. Let's get one in October before Halloween. Yay. Happy Halloween. You know, you've been thinking about doing it. Go ahead. Do it right now. <laughs> Just scroll to the bottom of your iPhone. It's right there somehow, right? Don't <laughs> yeah. you go? Yeah. Leave yes, a review. Yes. Doesn't say leave a review. Yes. You press the five stars and then you write something nice like, we love Aurora and McKay. <laughs> That'll be enough. <laughs> As you just speak from your heart, it'll be awesome. All right. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know ninjas don't show up on internet searches? It's because you don't find ninjas. They find you. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.